Hey, y'all, go ahead and just hang out just a little bit more. Gather, say hello to one another. Just chill out a little bit. Or just get quiet, and we'll go ahead and start. That's fine, too. <laughs> hey, y'all, so glad that you're here. Welcome to Fellowship College. Uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Andy, and I get to lead uh, our Celebrate Recovery ministry here at Fellowship Fayetteville. Uh, can I do something that might be a little weird for some of y'all? All right, two people said yes. Everybody else all right with it? All right, okay. So I'm gonna introduce myself like I would on a Friday night at Celebrate Recovery. It's gonna feel a little weird. I'm gonna list out some things that I struggle with and I'm gonna say my name at the end of it. And when I say my name, your job is just to say, hey, Andy. Everybody cool with that? All right, still like three people are all right with it. We'll roll with this. Hey, all right. <laughs> hey, so I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with anxiety and depression, people-pleasing and sexual addiction, and my name is Andy. Hey, y'all, all right. Now, for some of y'all, that might have been a little weird, right? You're like, who is this guy? And now I know all of his struggles before, I, like, I don't even know his last name yet. Anybody else a little weirded out by that? That's all right. <laughs> hey, so I, I'm here because I, I wanted to let you guys know uh, about a ministry that was a little strange to me at first, but has completely and radically changed my life. Uh, it's something called Celebrate Recovery here. And so uh, I'm, I'm here because I wanna invite you guys to come check us out on Friday nights here in this room every single week at seven o'clock. Now, some of y'all might be hearing that and you might be saying, you might have a couple questions. Question number one, what in the world is recovery? I have no idea what that is. Question number two might be like, hey, isn't that just like for drugs and alcohol and people that are really messed up? Or three, why in the world would I need that? And I know that because those were the questions that I was asking whenever I heard about Celebrate Recovery. You see, I didn't get involved in Celebrate Recovery six years ago because I thought I needed it. I got hired into it. Uh, I was a resident here at Fellowship. I actually worked with the college ministry seven years ago when it was up at the Rogers campus. And I got hired in to do the student ministry for Celebrate Recovery. And on the outside, I looked pretty good. I mean, I got the job, so I must have fooled somebody. And I was in a place where I was feeling like I don't really need to change. I'm, I'm walking close with Jesus. I got hired at a church. I'm good to go. But the reality was at the time, I had been struggling for years with a pornography addiction. But on top of that, I had barely had a year of sobriety from alcohol that I was struggling with in college. And I was completely insecure in who I was in Christ and desperately trying to prove myself to anyone and anything. And then I got plugged in to celebrate recovery as a guy who was supposed to lead and be on staff. And God radically changed my life. And since then, I've been free from pornography for six years, almost five and a half years. I've been free from alcohol from almost eight, for almost eight years. But not just that, over the past several years, I've gotten married my older brother was diagnosed with cancer. I've got a nine-month-old baby, and we've got one more on the way. Yeah, that's a cool thing. Yep, not a lot of sleep, but it's a cool thing. And what God has done through Celebrate Recovery has made it to where all of those hardships that I've encountered in life, I respond to them differently. And it's changed the way that I interact with the hurts and the hang-ups and the habits that I have within my life. 
Now, y'all sitting in here, I remember what it was like for me in college. I remember the struggles to try and look the, per, the right way, be the right person, make myself uh, be what I thought everyone else wanted me to be, and I hated it. But what I found was an authentic place to heal through Celebrate Recovery, but not just that, a place to grow and a place to change. And so if you're in a place, whether you're struggling with sexual sin, whether you're struggling with substance abuse, whether you're struggling with anxiety and depression, the, the effects of COVID, the loneliness, the fatigue, whatever it is, Celebrate Recovery is a safe place for you. I was 23 years old when I first got into Celebrate Recovery, and I wish I would have gotten into it years earlier. And if you're thinking, hey, when's a really good night to visit? I would tell you it would be this next Friday night. Couple things going on. First off, we've right now for the fall, we've got a couple open step study groups. Those are step study small groups. Those were one of the things that changed my life. We've got a couple that are open down here in Fayetteville. They're up on the screen there. If you wanna get involved in them, text the hashtag to the number there or just catch me after service. But this next Friday night, something we do at Celebrate Recovery is we, uh, we share life change stories of people that have walked through the program and God has healed them in ways that they never expected. And a couple years ago, right before I got married, I had a cool opportunity to lead a step study group for pastors here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And there was one really jacked up guy that came in there and I, he wasn't super jacked up, he was kind of jacked up, but he was a good friend of mine. But, uh, but I watched God do a work in his life and it's been cool in the years since to see the way that that has worked out. And that guy's name is Garland. He's actually y'all's college pastor. And this next Friday, he's gonna be sharing his story there. And so he's, and he's giving me permission to say that. He's, uh, and I know he would love to see every single one of you there uh, if you're not going to the A&M game, but he would love to see you there. So seriously, consider it. And I'd love to see you guys there on Friday night. I promise you, you guys won't regret it. One other thing that's going on, and this is gonna be a bit of a hard shift, so bear with me on it. One thing that we wanted to let you guys know as well is that there's a ministry called Merge here at Fellowship. And so this is for folks that are engaged or about to get engaged uh, to get into a small group experience to help set you guys up well for marriage. And so if you're interested in that, uh, there's the information up there on the screen. You can go to fellowshipfayetteville.org slash merge. All right. Well, hey, uh, I wanna pray for us as we enter into this, this space of us coming before the king of our life, Jesus, the one who makes hope and healing and freedom possible, no matter where we've been, no matter what's been done to us. So would you pray with me as we come before him? Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your incredible son, Jesus the one who sees us in the midst of our mess and our pain and our dysfunction and hurt, the God who loves us right here where we're at, but the God who loves us far too much to leave us where we're at. Lord, I pray tonight as we worship, as your word is opened up, and as we learn, Father, that you would draw us closer to your heart, that you would teach us more and more of who you say we are, how you see us in Jesus. And God, would you give us the courage to bring all that we are, all the mess, all the pain, all the brokenness to the healer that makes us whole. It's in your precious name we pray.
about six months ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, um, I go with my wife to a cardiologist appointment. Um, she's pregnant with our second daughter. She's having some heart palpitations going on. We didn't think anything of it. And so, but they told us, hey, let's, let's get it checked out just in case. <clears throat> so we go to the cardiologist. They ran some tests and they're giving us the results. We find out that she has an atrial septal defect. It's a congenital, uh, congenital heart disorder. And so that was a shock to us. She's had this heart disorder since she was born, um, but we had no idea. Uh, and it's a hole. It's a hole right in, the, in one of the walls of her heart. And they told us that we're going to have to get it fixed um, or it could lead to some pretty serious stuff uh, a few years down the road. So uh, that was scary. Uh, she's just pregnant. Uh, but had our, our second daughter. Her name is June. She was born back in May. And so had her, had her delivered via C-section because they said it might be too dangerous for normal delivery, and so we got through all that stuff. It's awesome, and June is an angel, um, and my wife Chelsea is, is doing well, but um, this will be my last week with y'all for a couple of weeks because um, a week from Tuesday, we're going down to Little Rock, and Chelsea's gonna have open-heart surgery. And I would be lying if I said that's not terrifying for us as a family with, um, with two little ones. And so I share that to let you know that tonight, as we walk through Psalm 42, it's a psalm of lament. That's what's on my mind. That's what I'm going to be thinking about as I sing, as we, as we lead you guys. That's, that's what I'm wrestling with in my heart, that I'm, I'm fearful of that surgery question God in that. The timing seems so ridiculous. I don't understand why we would walk through this right now. Um, I question why. Why is it that my wife has to go through this? Why is it that our family has to go through this? Um, and yet I cling to the truths of the Lord and I want to believe that he is still good in the midst of all of this confusion and I know undoubtedly pain that's going to come over the next few weeks. Um, I want to believe that he's still good. And I do believe that. But it's going to be hard at times to remind myself of that. And so as we dive into this Psalm 42, this Psalm of Lament, I want you all to feel that freedom to lament. What is it in your life that's causing you to question the goodness of God? What is it that's weighing on you? And so I know, I know this is it's gonna feel a little bit heavier than normal, but, but you have permission to go there tonight. And, and I hope that throughout the night that you understand through Josh when he's teaching the psalm, you understand that you actually always have permission to go there with the Lord, to question him, to lament, to mourn, because our God is unchanging. And when we are joyful, then he celebrates alongside us. 
we, when we lament, he mourns alongside us. He can meet us there in that lament. What an incredible thing. A holy, almighty God can join us in our mourning and in our suffering. And so, it is in this suffering, in these laments, that he really shows that he can make all things beautiful again. So in light of that, let's stand together and let's worship the one true king.
for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Y'all can take a seat. So my wife and I, we love movies. We both, uh, we both kind of grew up in, in houses that watched a lot of movies. The only problem is our taste in movies are completely different. It's gotten better. I've kind of shown her some, some good movies, but here's the, here are the type of movies that she grew up watching, okay? She, her family loves, and I mean loves Hallmark movies. Any, any Hallmark fans out here? Okay. Security in the back, y'all saw, saw those hands? Okay. We'll see y'all next week. Uh, every Hallmark movie is the exact same. Look at, I, all I did was I Googled Hallmark movie, and these are the first five that came up. The reason I can't stand Hallmark movies, I'm sorry for like this whole section right here. I know, I'm sorry. They're exactly the same, and they all end in the, in the same way. The guy gets the girl, happily ever after. It's cheesy. The acting is terrible. Don't disagree with me on that. The acting is so bad, but that's the exact reason that my wife loves them. She wants, she wants the happy ending. She wants everything to be kind of tied up in this, this nice, neat little bow. And I'm like, that's not how life is. Life doesn't operate like it. This, this is how life operates, okay? This is life right here. It's, it's like, a, it's war. It's, there's like some nitty gritty, like you're in the battle. Sometimes the main character has to die, okay? That has to happen sometimes for the good of the people, all right? So these are the type of movies that I like, kind of the real life uh, war, nitty gritty. And so if you came here tonight expecting this hallmark psalm, you have come on the wrong night. Tonight is not a fluffy, feel-good psalm, kind of give you, give you a little like butterflies. Tonight's kind of that, in the trenches, in the valley, real life, what do I do in this situation? And so if you have your Bibles, we'll actually be in Psalm 42 
and 43. You get two for one tonight. Originally, these psalms were actually one psalm combined. Uh, th there's three total stanzas, okay? Three stanzas, and it's the psalmist here is trying to answer this question. What do I do when God is gone? When it feels like God is nowhere to be found, where do I go? What do I do? What do I say? And so that's what the psalmist is gonna try and answer tonight, and he does that in three ways, and he does it three times. He repeats himself three times in these stanzas. First, he asks, he acknowledges his own hurts. He's honest about where he's at. Secondly, he asks the hard questions. He asks honest questions. And finally, he, he talks back. He doesn't just listen to himself, he preaches to himself. He, he advises his own soul on what to do and what to believe. And so some of y'all tonight maybe feel like life is good, that, that you're in a great spot, like you have the relationship, you've got the good grades, you're, you're doing pretty well, and so you're like tempted maybe right now to kind of zone out. They go, this is one of those sad psalms, and I'm not sad, so I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna kind of be on my phone. And here's why I would encourage you not to do that, a couple reasons. One, when I was in college, I would have said the exact same thing. And if you haven't been through the experience of feeling like God is, is so far off, if you haven't been through that, you probably will. So you might wanna take notes, maybe put a little, little earmark that says, when spiritual depression or spiritual numbness comes, <laughs> reread this. And then some of you maybe have friends that are in this season right now. After the last year and a half that we've had, I've talked to more and more people who are just in this season of hurt and loss and confusion and frustration. Things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. What's going on? And so this is, I hope, this psalm will encourage you. I hope you'll be able to relate to this psalm. It's gonna be weighty, it's gonna be heavy, but I think it's important. And so again, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Psalm 42. The first stanza, the psalmist kind of illustrates, this is where I'm at, this is how I feel. And here's what he says. He says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. My tears have been my food day and night. The first picture he illustrates of where he's at is he feels he's thirsty, he's needy. It feels like he's in this desert. It feels like God is gone. And again, when I was in college, that feeling, spiritual numbness, depression, anxiety, it's like, I'm, not, I'm never gonna feel that. I'm a seven on the Enneagram. We're like the happy ones. We're the ones that are always upbeat, always positive. Like, we don't go through depression. We don't do, we don't do the whole anxiety thing. Like, 
we're always good all the time. And then two years ago, I was in the car with my mom and she told me that her and my dad were getting a divorce. And it hit me so, so hard. I wasn't expecting it. I should have, but I wasn't. And I tried to go to God with, with these feelings of just rejection, this feeling of betrayal that my parents have betrayed me. That they, this feeling that they've been living a lie and therefore I've been living this lie for years. And I tried to go to God, I tried to pray, and I tried to read my Bible, and every time it just felt like nothing was happening. Here's the response I kept getting from God. It's the worst sound in the world when you're crying out to God, silence, nothing. And some of y'all tonight, maybe you're in that. Maybe you feel like you've been crying out to the Lord for a while. What I will tell you is that everyone in this room is thirsting for something. Everyone feels this need for something. That's the reason that we, we do the things that we do and say the things that we say and hang out with the people that we spend time with, right? Whether we're, we're thirsting after relationships or a job or money or a fraternity or sorority or fame or success or grades or trying to get our parents' approval. We're all thirsting for something and some of y'all are thirsting for everything. And it just feels like time and time again, it just leaves you more and more dry. The psalmist can relate. This is what he's, he's depicting. He's honest about where he's at. In stanza two, he depicts what he's feeling as drowning. He says, as deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and your breakers have swept over me. Now, I know most of y'all that are either from the Midwest or the South, when you go on vacation to the beach, it's probably 30A, Seaside, Rosemary, the HP people in here are like Alice Beach. And so, y'all, y'all, when you, when you think about waves and stuff, you think about these like little like whitewash waves. I'm from California. Pacific Ocean, there's like seasons of the year that you cannot go into the water because you'll die. Like there's seasons of the year that the waves are so big and this thing called a riptide is so strong that if you go out there and you're not strong enough or you lose your balance, like you're gonna get pulled out to the ocean. In fact, when I was younger in middle school, I watched this happen to my older brother. I watched as... He was trying to boogie board, and one second he was like 50 feet from the shore, and it was like we blinked, and he was 100 yards out with lifeguards jumping in, having to save him and rescue him. And he told me the feeling was like he could never find his balance. It felt like every time he kind of oriented himself above the water, another wave just boom, and another wave crashing over him, and crashing over him, and every time he tried to take a breath, it was like another wave. And if you've been in this season of depression or anxiety, that's exactly what it feels like. Wave after wave after wave after wave just crashing over you, trying to catch your breath, trying to get your balance, trying to reorient yourself. 
and it's exhausting. And the third feeling that he gives in the third stanza, he says he feels like he's, he's trapped. The psalmist feels trapped. And he says, vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. He gives this picture of a battle scene and that he has been, been captured by the enemy and that he needs somebody to rescue him. He, he can't rescue himself. He's trapped, he's captured. The enemy, it seems like, has won. And so we see the psalmist isn't afraid to be completely honest with where they're at. Hey, I feel just thirsty and in need. I'm drowning, I'm trapped. And I'll give you all some credit. I think your generation is actually really, really good at this. That's, that's no cap, right? No cap. I really... I really believe that. Y'all are so good about, way better than, than our parents' generation, for sure. Way better at acknowledging, this is, this is how I feel. This is, these are the emotions that I'm experiencing. We're even giving names to them. Like, this is, this is where I'm at. But we are so bad at the next two steps. And they're so important. We're so good at acknowledging the hurt in our life, but so bad about asking questions and advising our own souls. And it's so crucial. So here's what, watch what the psalmist does next. He's not afraid to ask the honest questions. When he feels like he's just in this desert, he's thirsty, he's dying for God, he wants to experience God so bad. He says, when will I be able to go and meet with you again? When can I experience your presence again? When are you going to draw near to me again? His enemies are saying to him, where is your God? He's not afraid to ask the hard questions. Then in stanza two, in response to this feeling of, of drowning, of, of suffocating, trying to catch his breath, he asks, why have you forgotten me? Because you see, if you look back in that stanza, he says some really important words that really took me off guard when I first read them. He says, your breakers and your waves have crashed over me. He's talking to God. Your breakers, your waves have crashed over me. He's at least acknowledging that God has the ability to remove every wave, that God has the ability to put him back on dry land, that God has the ability to rescue him, and yet, he's not. Have y'all ever wrestled with that? Whether it's an addiction, whether it's depression, whether it's this ongoing cyclical bad relationship. You're crying out to God, please let this be the last time. I beg you, free me from this, rescue me from this. I don't wanna feel these emotions anymore. God, I know that you have the ability to do that. I know you're sovereign, and yet he doesn't. 
That's the question that he's bringing. God, is it because, that, because you have forgotten me? He asks the hard questions. And then again, when he feels trapped, he asks the question, why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? God, it feels like the enemy continues to win time and time again. I try and do what's right, yet they're the one that gets the girl. I try and do what's right, yet they're the one that has that really successful job. I'm trying to do this thing the right way, yet they have the cool car, or yet they are not dealing with the things that I'm dealing with. Why does it always feel like they're winning? Have you rejected me? You see, the psalmist is not afraid to go to God with these really honest questions. And yet, for some reason, me and you are terrified. If you're anything like me, growing up in a Christian home, growing up in like the church life, I always thought, that if I was ever honest about my doubts, my insecurities, ever honest about these questions I was wrestling with God, like how could God allow these things? Why is God doing this? I always thought if I were, if I were to tell anybody about those, people would think I'm a, I'm a bad Christian and I don't wanna be found out. And yet, the older I've gotten, the more I realize that the opposite is true. The opposite is actually true. God would rather have you mad at him than pretend like everything is okay when it's not. Can I say that again? God would rather you be mad at him, pissed off at God, than have you pretend that life is okay when really inside you're drowning and trapped. God is not scared of your questions. He's not scared of your doubts. Bring your doubts, bring your questions, bring them to God, bring them to the people around you. But you can't stop there. You gotta be honest, you gotta ask yourself some questions as well, not just God. And that's what the psalmist does at the end of all three stanzas. He asks this. He turns from God to his own soul. And he speaks to himself. Soul, why are you downcast? Soul, why are you so disturbed? Soul, why are you so depressed? We're really good at listening to ourselves, listening to our feelings, listening to our emotions, listening to our thoughts, but we're really bad, really bad at talking back, asking the questions. Why do I feel this way? Culture hasn't helped. The narrative that you continue to hear is that However you feel, whatever emotions you're dealing with, whatever's going on in your life, that's just, that's who you are. Don't try and change it. Don't try and fix it, accept it, and that's who you are. Live your truth, be who you are. 
And yet I would argue that God doesn't want you to stay in these debilitating cycles of fear and depression and anxiety. He wants you to get to the root of it, asking some of these hard questions. Why, why do I feel this way? And then doing what the psalmist does in each stanza, talking back, preaching back to himself. He advises his own soul, and he does this in three ways. In stanza one, it's the power of remembrance. He feels thirsty. He feels on a, like he's on a desert. He's longing for God. He said, where is God? When will I get to meet with him again? And here's how he fights back. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. What's a festive throng? I have no clue, no idea. But here's what he does. He looks back. When, when we're, in that, we're in that valley, that pit, that muck and the mire, whatever you wanna call it, we're, when we're in the lowest place, it's so easy to only see right here, to only see what's right in front of you. When I have seasons where it feels like sin is just running a rampage in my life, or when it feels like I'm just down and depressed and sad, or when it feels like God is nowhere to be found, the first thing I think about is, is God, is God even doing anything in my life? Do I even know him? Am I even legit? Am I for real? Have I just been a fraud this whole time? Does this whole sanctification thing just not work for me? Am I the, am I the, the one that the Holy Spirit's not working in? And yet, when I take a step back, a year, five years, 10 years, and I look back, and remember what God has done. Like, oh my gosh. He was there then, and then he was there. He was with me, he was with me, he was with me. When we remember the times that God was with us, the times that God was near, we're reminded that he's still there. We're reminded that he hasn't forgotten about us, that he hasn't rejected us. He uses the power of, of remembrance. Israel did this. They had stones of remembrance. When they'd win a big battle, when they crossed the Jordan, they would lay these stones to remind themselves, hey, when, when times are really hard, when life gets really hard, and we're not on this like spiritual high from this victory, we, we need to remember that. We need to remember God's faithfulness. They use remembrance. And then in stanza two, he uses the power of song. He says, by day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. When he's feeling like he's drowning, like he can barely catch his breath. Wave after wave after wave continues to hit him. He remembers that the Lord is the one that leads him. And he uses song to remind himself of that. I don't know about you, but, but in these last two years, in the seasons where I feel like 
when I feel spiritually numb, when I feel God is so far, sometimes the only thing that can even like awaken a little bit of joy is music. I don't, I don't know why, but it's the way God works. It's, it's music, it's, it's this song, it's this singing. I, I even made a whole playlist, basically like a depression playlist called The Valley of the Shadows. You can go look it up. I'm not supposed to like encourage this, but one of the songs does have an F word in it. So just explicit, be careful there. It's super powerful. Now y'all are really interested. Like, What song? Not the new Kanye album, that's for sure. The person that probably knows the power of song in the deepest, darkest valley better than anybody is maybe a man named Horatio Spafford, okay? Y'all have probably never heard that name, but you all know exactly who this is. Y'all have heard his song. Horatio Spafford, he lived in like the 1800s in Chicago, and one day he gets this, this telegram. A guy in England named D.L. Moody is trying to start these, these evangelistic revivals in England, and he wants Horatio and his whole family to come and help him. And so they pack everything up, and they're about to get on a ship to go to England. And right before they go, something happens with his business, and he has to stay behind. And so he tells his family, go on ahead. I'll be out there in a couple weeks. And so his family goes, and as they're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, the ship crashes and sinks. His four daughters die. They drown. The only survivor was his wife. And when she finally makes it across to England, she sends him a telegram. All it said, saved alone, what shall I do? So Horatio gets on the next ship that goes out there. And the captain has heard, obviously, about what's going on. And he finds out that Horatio is on this ship. And so as they're passing over the part in the Atlantic Ocean where his four daughters died, the captain tells him, and he writes these words. Suspense. I thought that was... Sorry, guys. I'm telling you, it's good. It's really good. You're gonna wanna hear it. Here we go. Silence, right? He says, he pens these words. He goes, when peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say it is well, it is well with my soul. It is the worst day of his life. And he writes these words, it is well 
with my soul. He uses the power of song. The last thing that the psalmist shows us in the third stanza is the power of prayer. When he's feeling, when he's feeling trapped, when he's feeling like the enemy has won, when he's asking God, why have you rejected me? Why does my enemy always win? He fights back with these words. He fights back with prayer and petition. He asks God, he says, send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. He uses the power of prayer. It's so, so crucial. And I know a lot of you in this room have a hard time praying for one reason or another. Some of you, you feel like you just don't have the right words to say. Some of you feel like God is so distant, why would he listen? Some of you feel like, oh, I just don't know. I'm not eloquent enough. Can I tell you the most beautiful, powerful prayer I've ever heard in my entire life? I mean that, it's not exaggeration. The most powerful prayer I've ever heard in my entire life. You might wanna write this down. They got on their knees, opened their hands. Help! Y'all need me to repeat that? God, help me. Please help. Send me help. I need your help. I cannot do this on my own. Help, help, help. That's the type of prayers we should be praying. You don't need eloquence. You don't need theology. God is wanting, he's waiting for you to ask for his help. Stop being so afraid to go to him. Stop feeling like you don't have the words to say. Just ask for help. So here's how all three stanzas end and how the psalm ends. He's responding to these questions about his own soul where he says, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Why, my soul, are you depressed? And here's how he responds. Three times, three times he responds the same way. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. For one day, I'm gonna praise him. One day, I will praise God again. One day, I will praise him again. Because he is my savior and my God. Because he is my savior and my God. Because he is my savior and my God. The psalmist is now looking ahead 
One day it's gonna happen. One day I'll praise him. A savior is coming. God will rescue me. This is not gonna be like this forever. And that savior did come. That savior is Jesus, the one who we worship, the one who we sing to and about. One did come when the psalmist was feeling thirsty for God's presence. Jesus came and said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When it felt like he was drowning and wave after wave after wave kept crashing over him, one did come who had the authority to calm the storm, and he did. And when he felt trapped by the enemy, when he felt like he was in bondage, he was in chains, that, that the enemy was constantly winning the battle, Jesus stepped onto the battlefield and willingly was captured by the enemy, willingly died and rose from the dead, conquering death, conquering sin, so that his people could be free once and for all. And there is coming a day when there will be no mourning, there will be no tears. Depression will be gone, anxiety will be gone. Until then, we have to look to him. We have to trust him. This is the only reason Horatio Spafford was able to say on his worst day, it is well with my soul. Here's how that song continues. He says, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul.
it is well. It is well. It is well. With my soul. With my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Ephesians 1 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches god's grace and that that we can rejoice throughout all of this we're redeemed by the blood of the lamb i went down to the crimson river left my burdens on the shore i went down a sinner came up a saint died with christ now i'm being born yes he washed me mercy and he cleansed me in his blood now i stand complete i have been set free from life there in that flood not the same i am changed
tonight, tonight was heavy, but we have, we have that hope that one did come. Even when we were in the pits, even when we were in the muck and the mire, one came and raised us from the dead with him. And so that's what we get to celebrate this week. I'd encourage you, if you've never done it before, take a piece of paper sometime this week, write out where you're at, how you feel, be 100% honest. Ask the questions that you've been afraid to ask. Write out the doubts that you've been afraid to even put on paper and remind yourself of truth. And bring those to people around you, whether that's friends or a mentor or a counselor. Bring people around you. We're in this together. And so as you go this week, our prayer for you is that you would put your hope in God, that you would praise him because he is your savior and your God. We love you. We'll be here if you need to talk. Have a good week.